Welcome to the OT Lifestyle Movement. This is for the occupational therapy visionaries and the ones who see things differently. We're moving our profession forward through living and leading a truly holistic lifestyle. Hey, hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the OT Lifestyle Movement. I'm Rhiannon Crisp, occupational therapist, personal trainer, and founder of otlifestylemovement.com. Today, we are talking all about telehealth. Now, telehealth has been on the fringe for a long time. It's been sitting in the sidelines and only been used out of necessity to provide assessments and treatments to clients living remotely. But all of a sudden, we've been thrown into this whirlwind and we've been forced to think differently about how we work and about how we deliver services. So we are diving deep into this today with my good friend, Dr. Raina Oliveira. Dr. Raina is the founder of Telehealth OT Services. She supports OTs to thrive in the telehealth space and also enjoys working with families of children with autism spectrum disorder who are homeschooled. Welcome, Dr. Raina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> awesome to have you on. I would love to hit the rewind button. We'd love to get a bit of a backstory to find out how you came about the world of telehealth and landed and doing the work that you're doing today. Yeah, so um, I've been an OT for, I think, about seven years. And um, at the time I was going to, I, I decided to stay a generalist, like right when I got out of school, I was working a bunch of jobs. And um, then I decided to go back to school for my post-professional doctorate. And I was working at a clinic and the idea of this clinical doctorate was that you use the information that you gain from there to make your workplace better. And so what this workplace was lacking was parent carryover. The parents were telling me all the time, like, my child's doing really great with you, but I can't get them to do that at home. And so I was looking for a solution to how can I see in their homes without actually going there. And that's when I came across telehealth, and that's what I um, did my capstone on and, um, look, you know, looked for that solution, and it was what, what that place needed. Hmm. So have you been doing telehealth since then? Sort of how many years has that been now? That's been four years. Okay. Interesting. Okay. And everyone's sort of just catching up. You've had four years on us before we've sort of stepped into this space ourselves. So we're still learning the ropes and I'd love to get into what you love most about telehealth to start with, because it is very different to in-person services. Can you talk to us about what you love about this way of delivering our services? Yeah, so I think it's interesting because I did have the option to say, like, why, why wouldn't I just have done in-home services? Like, why wouldn't I have followed up with a, a, an outpatient kiddo and then gone into their homes? Um, personally, like, I just had heard horror stories about home-based services, about going to people's homes and dogs and bad neighborhoods and cancellations and driving and all this stuff. And when I found out about telehealth, like, I'm a techie at heart. Like, I love technology. I have, you know, the camera, the computer, and I'm just geeked out in technology and telehealth was just like the perfect fit for me. And I love the idea of being able to connect with our clients remotely. Like it just fit perfectly for me. Mm, that's so good. And I think that's what a lot of other OTs are finding now as well. Now that they've stepped into this space and they've experienced it for themselves, 
that a lot of clients can work really well in this telehealth space rather than in person. I know for me personally, working with a lot of my clients who are autistic, some of them much prefer to be talking to me across a screen, which is what they've grown up with. It's their culture rather yeah. than that in person. Um, yeah, a lot of people ask me like, oh, how do you get kids with autism to attend to the screen? And I'm like, no, no, no. It's like the other way around. Like, how do you get them to not attend to the screen? Because they love it and they have grown up like this and they love the technology. And so if it's even better with this population because they're so drawn to it. And I've had people tell me stories and I've experienced the same thing where the child like knows how to end the call, how to start the call, how to like bring up a, a paper or an object to the camera and like be right there on the, you know, on the lens hole and not down here. Like they understand the dynamics of being on a video call. Mm, and that in itself, what you just mentioned, can be working on so many different skills as well. If we're looking at skills, we're looking at functional, practical, everyday life skills that they need for living. Like, let's be honest, we live in a modern world right now. Um, we can't go back to old school days. These are things that kids need to learn how to do. So we can be weaving this into our session as something that we're working on. If it's addressing cognition or if it's addressing fine motor skills or if it's addressing attention to task, whatever it is, we can be weaving that into literally starting up the computer and, and jumping on a Zoom session. Yeah, exactly. They're going to need that skill. Like they're going to need that job skill no matter what job they have, I feel like these days. So it's perfect. Mm. And what do you love personally about telehealth? Oh, I love that I can work from home. I love that I can set my own schedule. Um, I love that I can be on vacation like I am right now and I can just pop on a computer on the Wi-Fi or on my phone. Um, I just, it's, it's freeing. Like I don't have to go into a job set hours, nine to five. I don't have to do that. I can just, you know, move my schedule around how I want to. So that's what I love about it. Mm, it's the ultimate laptop lifestyle, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so what kinds of OT services can be delivered via telehealth? Are there any things that we can't do via telehealth or is it really just us starting to learn what is actually, what's, what the potential is? Yeah, so one of my colleagues and I have had this conversation and her take is like, everyone can have telehealth. And my take is like, I don't know if it's for everyone. So like, I'll, say, I'll give you some extremes. So I have seen telehealth um, in pediatrics and geriatrics, veterans, amputees, ergonomics, hand therapy, like a bunch, a bunch of areas. But there's like two things that kind of really stick out to me. And one is transfers. I just feel like having to physically like help somebody or even coach a caregiver to do a, a stand pivot transfer, like bed to wheelchair to me is just like, oh my gosh, like safety wise, I would just feel nervous. I have also never heard of someone doing this. And so I would say that that's probably one thing that I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't think so. And at least I haven't heard about it. So maybe we shouldn't go there. And the other thing that I hear people tell me is like, oh, well, if I have an older adult who doesn't love technology and they live alone, well, it's like they don't have the help and they don't love technology. So you can't push, you know, push on them something that they're not going to be happy with and that they're not going to be successful at. 
And so like, those are my two big extremes where I'm like, all right, like if they don't love technology and, and they're not good at it and they don't have help, forget it. And if you're trying to do physical transfers, I'd kind of be extra cautious with that. Very. Yeah, it's interesting. So I hosted the OT Telehealth Summit, which you were a part of. I also spoke to Dr. Kieran Broom, who is based here on the Sunshine Coast, and he does transfer. So we spoke about all the physical side of it, and it was really interesting to get his perspectives on how he does it safely. Um, so if anyone wants to get more info, definitely go check that out. It's oh, the I'm OT. I'll listen to that one. Yeah, he's, he's incredible. Um, and he spoke about wheelchair, like assessing for wheelchairs and really physical things. So it's definitely worthwhile checking that out. So that's at otelehealthsummit.com. And I agree, though, with your second point, definitely. If, if adults are not accustomed, if they don't know how to navigate the software and how to click on a link and they're nervous about it and it's just going to cause them more issues than the actual goodness of the therapy that we're going to be mm. delivering then mm. we we need to be referring on um so yeah i think that's a really good point yeah um so what are the benefits of ot telehealth what what sort of benefits do you find clients are getting? Yeah, so I think the biggest benefit with what how telehealth started is the rural areas that didn't have access. And so going along with that, like a long commute, um, having to avoid driving an hour to your closest OT. Um, I obviously, well, for me, I think the, the things that I saw that a lot of patients canceled with and that I thought, well, if they're canceling, maybe we can supplement with telehealth was like weather here in Florida, like it rains all the time. And anytime it rains, people canceled all the time. And so weather and then having to like lug around multiple kids to an appointment, I think those are like the two big things that I experienced firsthand. And then another huge one, which I think it's really impacting us right now is families are, um, of clients that are immunocompromised. And so being able to not have to expose yourself in a clinic, in a waiting room when you're already sick, like telehealth is an ideal option for those families. Mm, absolutely. I love that. So what's the major difference then or the things that therapists need to be aware of when they're practicing telehealth compared to in-person? So the biggest thing is communication. I would say 100% what I tell people to practice is communication. You have to be able to confidently communicate verbally. Yes, you have your visual because you have a video and you can show certain things, but you can't just do what you want to do with your hands. And so having to like verbally say to someone like, put your hand here, hold this much. No, not that much. Move left, move right. Like all those commands and really descriptive words, it's a little bit of a learning curve. And so I always, anyone that comes to me for advice is like the biggest thing, practice your verbal communication, practice tying your hands down and telling someone directives without using your hands. Mm, interesting. It is such a big thing, isn't it? And you don't, you don't realize how important that is until you're actually thrown into it. Yeah, exactly. Mm, do you have any other tips on communication or how you learned to do it? Or it's just something that you picked up along the way? Um, I feel like, I feel like that's something I picked up. I feel like that's something that comes with practice. It comes with experience. Like every time you have, you have another session, you're like, oh, how can I have set this better? 
you know, or you're actually going through it and they're just not getting it. And you're just like, oh, I feel like I'm communicating it well, but they're not getting it. And so it's just like constant, you know, self, you know, self-evaluation and reframing your communication. I don't think there's really anything special besides just like practicing and Mm. living it. Mm. And I know you have shared this example before of the boy that one of the kids that you were seeing, you were, you were trying to help his mum help him ride a bike. And this is something that you couldn't be physically there. You couldn't help him balance while he, um, he took off. You had to really be clear with your instructions as to how she had to support him in doing this. Can you give us any background into this example? Oh, I love this example. It's like my absolute favorite. Since you guys can't see me, I get my smile on my face right now. It's like, I love this example that I actually can like proudly say that I taught somebody how to ride their bike through telehealth. It's like wild. I I didn't think it was going to happen so fast. And like, this wasn't even my idea. This was mom's idea. And so it just makes it even that much more special that like she allowed me to participate in such a huge milestone. Um, and so really what I did for that is like break the activity down, right? So break the activity down, break the client factors down. So we already knew that he had poor balance and we already knew that he was like fearful of like that mom would have probably never thought about. So I said like break, you know, um, he's fearful of putting on the pedals and he has poor balance. Like let's just work on the balance without the pedals. We just took off the pedals and I told her, you know, let's take off the pedals. And I said, you know, have you ever seen those balance bikes and refer to like a video of kids, you know, the younger kids using those balance bikes where they have no pedals. They just like kind of walking on, you know, walking along and gliding. And then the next step is what I explained to her. Like, you know, the first step is that they're just like walking on a bike and it seems so silly. They're just like walking on their bike. They're not moving, but as they start to walk faster, then they start gliding and then they can put their feet up. And that's how, when you start working on your balance, when your feet are up and you can maintain your balance on the two wheels with just your feet elevated. And so I just took her through that process. And once we saw that he was like doing way better with his balance, then we're like, okay, well now let's add the pedals and let's, you know, go through. And so I just, activity analysis, you know, just broke it down for them in ways that they would have never thought possible. Like any traditional family who, has never had OT experience, it's not going to go and remove pedals from a bike. Like that's just not what they're thinking. They're just thinking like, we just got to go. And so then it came to the point where we had the pedals, you know, we had the pedals back on, but he's obviously not getting it right there. So now I'm like, all right, mom, you got to hold, you know, you got to hold here, but where's here? So I have to use my descriptive words. Like you have to, you know, with one hand, like stand next to him, stand to one side of him with one hand, like hold the back of his seat with the other hand, like hold the handlebar. And so, you know, she put, she put me, I say me, or like the, t- the tablet somewhere where um, I could see everything. And then she'd be like, like this. And then I'd say, maybe, you know, maybe move it a little bit closer to him or farther away or what have you. And just, again, use those just descriptive words to guide her along to where to put her hands. And then I mean, it was just like a flash before my eyes. Like they just, they just got it. Um, 
and it was it was beautiful it's just a beautiful experience mm, i love that and it's it shows that there's no boundaries there's no limitations as well we don't have to have clients sitting in front of the screen doing a really sedentary activity you've really pushed the boundaries here and shown us that we can go outside we can go into the community and we yeah. can be riding a bike down the neighborhood <laughs> so yeah. it really we need to be thinking bigger than what we consider telehealth to be yeah i feel like a lot of people like bogged down with the technology side of it because they feel like they have to learn all these programs and all these digital activities to like engage their kids and and that's just not how like my telehealth brain works like if you ask me i'm just like put the tablet down somewhere in your house where i can see everything that's going on go like be about your life with your child let's see what the problem is and then like we'll talk about it and do whatever so like we do they you know i i encourage the families to do an activity they would normally do so i'm not making up the activity i'm not planning i'm not doing all of this work on the back end i'm just like you know do an activity that you normally do arts and crafts projects science experiments um board games are like a huge favorite we do work on handwriting and other things but i try to do things that they would normally do so if they have a particular notebook for example one of the kids that i work with has a notebook that has a blank um half of the paper is blank on the top and then the other half has lines on the bottom and it's like to write a story Maybe that's not something that I would have done, but because she took that out, then I'm like, oh, let's draw a picture. Now let's write a story about it and totally do whatever they would normally do, especially homeschool families. They're good about coming up with plans and ideas and they like implementing that, but then they struggle with a certain piece of it. And so I like to just, you know, watch them interacting together as a family and then like chime in on well, why do you think this is happening? Well, what do you think it could be better? And et cetera, et cetera. And it's all super functional. It's not anything like, it's not my agenda, it's theirs. Mm. And we have had so many conversations around this. I love this because what we're doing here is we're able to see the client in the real life context of their day-to-day -day life. And yeah. we can go so much further than the activity on the computer screen or a little pipe cleaner and you know cup activity right. or whatever it is you know and even if it's conversational with the with the adults we can be looking at dressing skills we can be looking at how they get in and out of bed we can be looking at gardening i mean the possibilities are really endless and we can be looking at their meaningful occupations in their everyday life and yeah. i really don't think there's anything more powerful than that we're really getting back to our roots we're doing exactly the work that really matters. Yeah. There's no clinical contrived environment. We cannot replicate the home and, and we have the privilege and the opportunity to step into the family's home or to the client's home, do an assessment in, in their own environment. And you know, this is one big factor, isn't it? Environment, occupation, person. Yeah. And we get to see everything. We get to see the utensils that they use. We get to see their cupboard and the clothes that they keep in there and how we can better rearrange it so it supports their injury you know it i mean it's honestly i think it it has so much potential and we can be really utilizing this in such a bigger way yeah definitely a hundred percent i that just reminded me like of another story that this this mom was like telling me oh, you know, so-and-so is like struggling with making the bed. And I was like, all right, let's go like to the room. She's like, right now? I'm like, yeah, right now, let's go. 
went up to the room and I was like, all right, like what would the bed look like to you? And like, she whips out, like they have like six blankets on the bed. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I would have never, like my, my daughter's bed is just like one comforter over the bed and done. He had a comforter and like five other blankets and she wanted him to put the comforter on the right way with the cartoon characters like facing you know forward and then fold each of the six blankets and put them on the foot of the bed like in order from like smallest biggest to smallest and I was like that is way too much like and I would have never if we were in a clinic working on bed making we would not have had even in rehabs that have the apartments you know laid out for you to practice ADLs there's not six blankets for you to practice in and this is like what his reality was and so it's so beautiful to be able to see that to see like what is going on in their home it's not anything like it is in mine it's not anything like I imagined we wouldn't have been able to replicate that in the clinic or in the rehab or anywhere ah such a great story So you mentioned before that you don't prepare for sessions and a lot of OTs might be thinking, oh my God, like how, how does this happen? Like I have my list of things I need to tick off and the goals that I'm working on to make sure that the session flows and I'm doing the things that help the client achieve their goals. How do you not plan your sessions? Talk to me about that. So I just get on a call and I ask the family, like, Hey, how's it been going? Like, what's been going on? And usually, sometimes it's, you know, the same issue that is just going on, you know, weeks at a time. And sometimes it's something new. And I just say, okay, like, so this is what you're struggling with. And then they already know they're working with me that they should have like something pulled out, like either a board game or like Play-Doh or whatever they want. And so if we're, if they say, okay, well, Um, you know, our biggest problem is like attention or he can't sit down for five minutes. We have an activity and now we're just going to say, okay, well, let's get started and see how the attention is. I didn't have to go make a project to share with them to do, like, I just don't have, you know, like, that's just not how I think. So I just say, you know, what, okay, like the one with the bed making, like, what are you struggling with? Oh, he won't make the bed. Okay, let's go upstairs and make bed. Like, oh, what are you struggling with? cooking okay well let's go in the kitchen and go cook like we just go do functional stuff or if it's like attention or cognitive or whatever we have a kind of like a plan in quotations here like of an idea of something that maybe we want to do and then we tie in those skills into that activity um so I don't plan activities like I would in the clinic I just don't and even when I was in the clinic I didn't really plan activities anyway and I feel like that comes with experience as well I don't want to act like I'm this like uh, amazing like OT but it just comes with experience that anytime I did plan something it just didn't work anyway and I had to go with the flow and so I realized well why not just go with the flow from the beginning and stop stressing out about planning something that's not going to work anyway or not not work or maybe you fly through it because you didn't plan enough or maybe it's too hard or too easy or whatever and so to me I've just gotten used to going with the flow and it's so much easier to, to go with the flow in telehealth than it is to have something planned especially for those OTs that are seeing you know kiddos back to back to back you can't possibly plan for 
I hate to say some people are seeing up to 10 kids a day. You can't plan for 10 kids a day and like keep your sanity when you can just like go with the flow and talk to the parents and see what's happening and then like just have them go play an activity or go cook or do something functional and you don't have to plan it. So that's just my, I don't know, just my soapbox about planning telehealth sessions, but I can't really teach, like I can't teach that to people because you have to have the, and I call it critical reasoning skills. I know it's like clinical reasoning, but we're not in the clinic anymore. So I say critical reasoning, like you have to have the critical thinking skills to be able to like, just go with the flow and be flexible and just, I don't know, work as you go. I love that. And I think that's our new hashtag, go with the flow. Yeah. So, go with the, flow. Well, the way I see it as well is we can bring so much. So whatever their interests are or whatever their passion is or whatever their current challenges that they want to focus on, we can weave our therapeutic occupations and um, our knowledge into a session that way we don't have to have it all planned out so if if a if a child is specifically really focused on pokemon or they've got something mm -hmm. we can work on our attention skills we can work on yeah. our self-regulation we can work on problem solving whatever the skills that we're working on and the same with the adult population as well um, we can weave that into a session without it having been fully planned um, right. And I love that. And that's, that's how I work a lot as well. So what do you do when things don't go to plan? So let's say something happens unexpectedly. What do you, what do you do in telehealth world? So, I mean, like there's people always say like, it's not if technology is going to fail, it's when technology is going to fail. And so we always have, you know, hiccups and, issues here and there with telehealth. I think the biggest thing is for me to always have a backup plan. Um, I mean, we talked about like not planning interventions, but I think that's different than like planning for something happening in telehealth or in the technology. And so always having a backup uh, platform, always having backup to your Wi-Fi. Like if you're on Wi-Fi, my backup for me is my phone and I have the platform that I use on my phone so I can use the mobile device and not just Wi-Fi, but also like if the power goes out in your house, then you have a backup plan. Um, if you can't reach via video, having that person's phone number like readily available and just having a backup plan, an alternate way of communicating with them and letting them know like, listen, maybe this isn't working out for whatever reason, or they could have an issue on their end too, and just rescheduling. Um, luckily, that hasn't really happened too much with me. We've been able to figure it out um, because I think I prepare parents and say, like, if we get bumped out of here, log off and log back on. If you can't, then we'll, you know, I'll send you another link to something else. And so just preparing for those like mishaps. Mm -hmm. So what do you know now that you wish you had have known when you started telehealth? Oh, let me think. I would say that it's okay to be quiet and observe. I think that's like my biggest, and that's any OT's biggest thing is like, we feel like we have to talk. We feel like we always have to be intervening and helping and doing something. 
And the biggest lesson that I have learned throughout the years is to just sit and observe. And you learn so much. And it's sometimes it's like an awkward silence, but it's okay. Like it's okay because you're processing and you're learning and they're processing and it's okay to just sit and observe. Mm -hmm. Can you give me an example of what this looks like? So, um, all right. So I would say like, if um if a child i'm going to keep going with my pediatric examples because that's what i do now but if a child is having a tantrum or a meltdown whichever you don't have to like jump in and say like go do this go do that tantrums and meltdowns don't always happen via telehealth you sometimes only hear about them and so to me like when a when a tantrum happens over telehealth, I'm like, yes, like, let me see it. Like, let it happen. You tell me what, like, you do what you would normally do. And I tell the parents to just do what they would normally do. Let me see what they're trying. I've probably suggested a billion things by now. So either they're doing them or they're not. I've never actually probably seen them do it. And then I get to just sit back and just watch. And it seems so cruel. It seems so crazy that I'm not jumping in and helping them with this tantrum that that's what they've been struggling with for years. But like, I've never seen it. I just want to sit back and watch. Mm, I love that. So if you were to talk about your top five tips for therapists who are currently working in telehealth or those who want to transition to telehealth, what would be the top five tips you'd give them? All right. The first one is, which I just talked about recently in my group, is to study telehealth like you were studying to change populations or change settings. So if I'm a pediatric therapist and I all of a sudden wanted to start working with adults, what would I do? I would take a bunch of courses. I would attend conferences. I would, I don't know, ask friends, read books, do whatever and educate myself to change populations, change settings. So this is the same thing. You have to start studying telehealth. You just have to. So that's my number one tip. Um, the second tip I would say is practice. Practice with your friends, practice with your friends' kids, practice with your friends' grandparents, practice with whoever. And again, that whole like tie your hands down and practice that verbal communication, huge. Um, all right, another one is well, we talked about this too, but focus on function, <laughs> focus on functional tasks, occupation, and not really like your stacking blocks goal or your threading beads goal or what have you. Like why, why are, I can't, don't even get me started. Okay. Tell, hold on, Raina, uh, tell, <laughs> tell me why. Let, just let me dive deep into this for one minute. <laughs> Tell me why this is so important to you. Why is function and meaningful occupations to the client so much more important than, like you said, stacking blocks? Because it's like, what, like, what are we trying to accomplish with stacking blocks? Like, what are we trying to, what are we trying to do? Okay. Say, uh, I don't know. Say stacking blocks is preparing somebody to like stack cans from the grocery store. I don't, whatever. Like, why don't you just go stack the real cans that you're going to go use and not blocks? Like I get that we're working on 
visual perceptual skills or visual motor skills, you know, whatever, all the skills you want to talk about of stacking blocks, cognition, is it going to fall over? Is it not? But is that like a real skill? Like when do we go around stacking blocks? Unless you're like a bricklayer, you really need to stack blocks. Like there's no, that's not like a functional skill. And so it's fine to use it like in pediatrics or what have you, but like I've had people say, well, they don't have the blocks that I have in the clinic. Sorry about the noise. <laughs> they don't have the blocks like in their home that I would have in the clinic. Okay, so like use something, like do something that they would normally be doing, you know? So that, I don't know. It's just like, this is what OT is all about. It's all about function. It's all about participation and occupation. And if those things are not what kids are doing or adults are doing, why are we imposing that like on them? Oh, I can go, we can go on for like a whole nother hour about this. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. No, you summed it up really perfectly. <laughs> All right. Uh, another tip I would say is, well, on that note, focusing on the client's preferred occupations. So, you know, same kind of thing, functional skills or their preferred op occupations. If they are, you know, if they do like uh, playing a game or whatever, then, you know, obviously you do focus on that. I think this is going to go on with like the next one too, which is build rapport and using a client's preferred occupations is going to help you like build rapport. Um, you know, a perfect example is one of my latest clients, which hit, um, he has a relative who is an occupational therapist, but they wanted a formal like PZOT. And I, on my evaluation, I asked like what his interests are and he likes Minecraft and Pokemon and Legos and all that stuff. And so the next day we were building like a emotional regulation thing. And instead of using zones of regulation, I started using the, um, the characters that he liked. And so, you know, the third session, they're like, oh my gosh, like we went back to so-and-so and they're like, this is great. She's connecting with him. And so if I was just using zones of regulation, like these colors, he'd be like, who cares? But now he's so into it and he thinks I'm like the coolest OT now because I'm speaking his language, which I know nothing about, by the way. Like I know nothing about Pokemon and Minecraft, but I just pretend and, you know, like, look it up real quick, like, make some notes, write it down and say, you know, like, whatever characters and start talking about the characters and he loves it. And so building rapport with the client, of course, also building rapport with the families. Um, I like to tell people that you should tell your clients and yourself to behave as if you were on a FaceTime call with the family, with your family. So you should behave as though that you're on a FaceTime call with your family and they should behave as if they're on a FaceTime call with their family. And just to kind of like, as an icebreaker, just to be like, Oh, like we all know what it's like to be on FaceTime with our family now or WhatsApp or whatever other kind of video messaging you use and all this like pre COVID now we now everyone really knows how to be like on a video call. And so just pretend like you're on a video call with your family and just try to like let loose and not be so rigid and just, you know, just 
I don't know, laugh about silly things and just be comfortable on the camera. And it seems, like I said, it seems awkward, but once you kind of like get over, get over that and just start talking like friends, it becomes so much better. And you can have such great emotional connections with families over telehealth. And people are like, no, you can't. I'm like, yes, you can, you can. Mm, so. Absolutely. Well, this is the way the world's moving, isn't it? So I hope yeah. we can. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And what I love about those five points that you just mentioned then is pretty much all of them weren't even telehealth related. Oh, yeah. You were yeah, sharing, right. <laughs> you know what? You were just sharing tips that get us back to our OT roots. That's the theme that I found coming through that is that we need to focus on interest. We need to focus on function. We need to look at connection and building the relationships and the rapport. You know, all these things are so critical to, to helping people reach their desired goals in life. And if we don't get back to our OT roots, no matter what service delivery method we're using, then we're missing the point. Right. And that's the thing. Telehealth is a service delivery model. And I think once people understand that, they'll be like, oh, okay, like we still have to do all the same steps as we would otherwise. Mm, it's just a different way of delivering the service. Yep. Awesome. Well, let's head to our three rapid fire questions, Raina. So number one, in one sentence, how do you describe OT? All right, here's my little like OT <laughs> elevator speed. So I usually just say empowering individuals to participate in their daily activities by helping with either developmental skills, injury, or illness. Love it. Number two, what's one healthy lifestyle habit listeners can implement today? All right, this one's going to shock you, <laughs> but I would say less screen time. I know the telehealth OT is saying less screen time, but yeah, that's, I think that's a big one these days. Mm -hmm. If you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Number three. And if you could only offer one piece of advice to OTs, what would it be? You stole it (laughs) is go back to basics, go back to the roots of OT. If you're struggling at all with anything, not even just telehealth, go back to basics. Love it. Thank you so much, Dr. Reyna. I absolutely love your work. Where can everyone connect with you and get in touch? So on my Facebook group, Telehealth OT, and on my website at www.telehealthotservices.com. Cool. And do you want to just tell us a little bit about the courses that you've got? Oh, sure. Um, So I have a bunch of resources. I have a book that's available on Amazon. And I have a mini course, which is like an introductory uh, intro to telehealth. And then my latest thing is a membership that um, I just created, which is basically like a hub for all things telehealth, interventions, assessments, laws and regulations, telehealth companies. And we're doing monthly meetings um, and guest speakers and all that. And that's called the Telehealth OT Vault. So I'm super excited about that. I also have a business program too. So many things going on, but... I'll just share those three. You forgot your podcast. Don't forget. Oh, your and my podcast. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> and I have my telehealth OT podcast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, telehealth OT everywhere. Instagram, Facebook. I'm not on YouTube yet, but maybe that'll be my next adventure. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Raina. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. That's it, guys. I hope this episode resonated with you. But more importantly, I hope that it inspires you to take action. 
If you haven't already, come over and join our Facebook group family where we connect and collaborate. You can find us really easy just by searching the OT Lifestyle Movement in Facebook. If you did love this episode, I'd be super grateful if you shared it. You can take a screenshot right now and share it on Instagram or on Facebook so we can connect with more amazing, like-minded, open-minded OTs. The more we share the OT Lifestyle Movement, the more we can create a ripple effect. And if you do love the podcast, please head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review so we can be found more easily. That's it. Go out, create the epic change that you seek in the world because the world is ready for you. Carpe diem, guys.